Please stand for the reading of, of God's word. Okay. So we are reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we're going to hear that the writer of Acts says in the first book, Theophilus, and the first book is the Gospel of Luke. Acts is actually the sequel to Luke. It's part two, also written by the writer who wrote Luke. And he says, in the first book, Theophilus, and Theophilus means lover of God. So it either was written to someone who was a lover of God, or it's written to all of us who are lovers of God. So from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, when we look at a scripture reading or a Bible reading, one way to have it speak to us is to ask, what is God doing here? Or as someone put it, what is God up to in this passage? So as we look at this reading from Acts chapter 1, we can ask, what is God up to here? And there's a whole lot of things that we can pull out of it. But the central thing that we might see is that Jesus is giving the first disciples and us a purpose, that we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus sets these disciples on a completely different path, calling them far differently than what they expected or imagined. So the disciples' question is telling. They say, Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They have a limited view. They believe Jesus has given them a special purpose, but they think that that purpose is to restore their own people, to spread their own customs, their own ideas. So they're like, Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. 
And Jesus' response is, nope. It's not for you to know the times or the periods the Father set, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And that power of the Holy Spirit is going to be used by you being my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, that still is concerned about the people of Israel, but then in Samaria, which is an enemy of the people of Israel, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus basically is telling them it's not about your agenda for your own people, but my agenda to love and bless the world. That it's not just about the kingdom of Israel or promoting any other earthly kingdom. It's about us who are followers of Jesus living out the kingdom of God, which isn't about a place. The kingdom of God is about God's activity in the world. And that activity in the world that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts is about forgiving, living in ways that create healing, and showing Jesus grace and love. Now, yesterday I got to go to the speech meet at the high school that was speech sections, and I only had the schedule for the duo interpretation, and so that's all I got to see. But it had different people acting out different scenes from movies or books or plays, and it was kind of like they were on a stage. And they made so many of these different characters come to life, and you got to experience these characters through them. Now, one scholar who writes about Acts, Willie Jennings, he notes that the disciples are going to make their lives a stage through which the resurrected Jesus appears and works through them to claim each creature as his own, as a site of God's love and God's longing. And I absolutely love that, that image of our lives as a stage through which people experience Jesus through us to be able to make Jesus' love and grace known. Now, these disciples are given this promise. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and they'll be as witnesses to the ends of the earth, and then they have to wait. How many of you enjoy waiting? Yeah, probably not a single one, right? We do not like waiting. But they have to wait, and I don't really get why they have to wait. Like, does Jesus have some, something better to do? Like, why doesn't he stay with them until the Holy Spirit comes? But instead, they have to live in this in-between time of not having Jesus present with them, not yet receiving the Holy Spirit. They're just told to wait. Wait in Jerusalem, which isn't really a safe place to be. That's where the crucifixion happens. They have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And we often join them in that kind of waiting. Sometimes we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to act. We are still waiting in some places in our lives for God's promises to be lived out. At times we are waiting for a better day to come. We all have these waiting times, whether it's waiting for something big like a diagnosis or for healing to come, or waiting for something small like we're stuck in line one more time. And we can choose how we are going to wait. We don't get to choose if we have to wait, but how we're going to wait. Are we going to wait in ways that create more frustration or wait in ways that are life-giving? And the way that the disciples wait, I think, is a hint for us, maybe a help for us. Because how do the disciples wait? How do they spend that time of waiting? In the, book, in the Gospel of Luke, you hear that they spend time in worship. They're constantly in the temple worshiping God. Here in Acts, we heard they spend their time waiting by praying and then by being together with other people of faith. 
I wonder if we could more effectively use our waiting times, our in-between times, by taking the time to pray, to read God's word, to be with other people of faith, and hear what God has to share through them. I would guess most of us could probably spend some more time in prayer or in reading God's word. And as I've shared before, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes every single morning, though it's great if you do that. But are there creative ways we can insert scripture and prayer into our daily lives? And as I've shared before, like what if you wrote down a different scripture every day or every week and each day carried that in your pocket or had it come across your cell phone screen? And when you find yourself stuck waiting again to pull that out and pray that scripture or read it, because it's only by the Holy Spirit's power, not our power, that we can effectively witness to Jesus Christ, that we can live out this greatest purpose that we have in life, and that's to show forth Jesus' love and welcome and forgiveness and grace. There's absolutely nothing more meaningful or more purposeful than that. I was recently rereading a book that I'd read several years ago, about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's called Unbinding the Gospel. And in it, the person shares a couple stories of people who've witnessed or who've experienced Jesus Christ. One person shares that he's not somebody that can go talking about his faith all the time. He's a church treasurer and a quiet CPA named Brian. And he said, It is hard for me to be really friendly or outgoing like some people. So what I do is I pray. I pray that God will show me people to pray for who might be open to Jesus now. Often it's people who are going through a transition. And he said, when I ask, God brings people to my mind or into my life whose kids left for college a couple months before. Sometimes it's a friend who's just retired or a lady whose mom just died or someone who lost his job. And when their names come to mind, I call them for lunch or golf. And then as he's with them, he asks if they want to come to church. And he said, I don't talk about a lot of stuff, but I invite them. And the person sharing the story asked, what happens when you invite them? And he said, well, a lot of them have come to church, and a lot of them have become engaged in the ministry. I really never have been able to tell them about the Lord or lead them to Christ or share steps of salvation. I just tell them that the faith community means a lot to me and helps me. I guess my job is just the praying and the inviting. And of course, our goal is not to bring people to church. Our goal is to bring people into relationship with Jesus Christ so that they experience who he is for them. And I think how he talks about it is so beautiful because how many of us are comfortable going out and just starting to talk about our faith? A lot of us are not comfortable with that. But the way he lives it out, it's really accessible, I think, for a lot of us. Another woman named Sandy takes a different tactic. One woman who hadn't been a part of a church since childhood, she went through a major transition in her life, and she said her life was a total mess. She was completely broken. But she said her neighbor, Sandy, was incredible. She said her neighbor listened and listened to her. She said she helped me pay the bills and cook when I couldn't even function. She prayed for me. I'd prayed before, but this was different. I felt as if there really was a Jesus And he was standing right there with his arm around my shoulders. I mean, it was Sandy's arm, but it felt like it was Jesus. And that was the start of her faith, 
of her becoming a follower of Jesus and becoming involved in the faith community. Jesus invites every single one of us to have our lives show forth that kind of witness, to show that we're set on a different path, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves or our own agenda, that we're a part of something that's bigger than any political party or political leaning, but we are focused on and following Jesus' agenda for his good news of forgiveness and grace to extend to the ends of the earth. And it starts with us and the people that we get to see and be with this week. Now, before Jesus goes up into heaven, he tells the disciples about their mission, and then he leaves. And all he leaves them with is a word, a promise. That's it. That's all they have to go on as they wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The disciples, they want a concrete answer. They're like, okay, tell us the time, tell us the date. How many of us are like that? We're like, tell us the time, tell us the date. We want to know exactly when this is going to happen. And all Jesus leaves them with is a word. I think all of us want certainty. We want concrete answers. We prepare our lives in ways that try to create that certainty, that security. But the more we live, I think the more we realize that a lot of those things fade away. That the things we try to place certainty in, it's just not there. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about how people's constancy, our faithfulness, sometimes can fade like grass, that so many things fade away. But it offers this promise that the word of our God will stand forever. And that's what we have to go on, is Jesus' word, which sometimes doesn't seem like it's enough at times, but Jesus' word that is certain, that is with us and for us forever. Might our lives, might they be a stage, a witness to this word, a witness through which people experience Jesus' love and welcome and forgiveness and grace. And may Jesus' word shape our lives and be the foundation for how we live today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.